Okay, welcome back to the latest United podcast and episode 200. Larry, can you believe 200 episodes of the United podcast? Yeah, um, Tom, it's it's been an honour, mate, and it's creeped up on us quickly. We started the podcast two years ago or just over two years ago now. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised we've kept it going. Um, and I guess that's because we enjoy talking about United. I think the idea came about because we do it anyway. So we thought we might as well record it. And we both enjoy going to the pub and it was just an easy match made in heaven, wasn't it? But yeah, it's been lots of highlights, lots of fun. And here's to the next 200. Yeah, well, at the end, we'll probably go through sort of the two, not a, not every single episode of the 200, of course, but we'll look at highlights and a few things we've been able to do through the podcast, but we'll go through that at the end. But um, on this podcast, we'll talk about what we're going to do. We did have a guest lined up, but um, the schedules haven't lined up um, in time for this episode, but we will get him on in the next week or two, um, hopefully, fingers crossed, um, another very special guest. But um, on today's episode, we'll obviously go through the Euros, obviously a dramatic couple of days in the semifinals. Um, the latest on the transfer updates. So if, is there any transfer updates? I'll have to get Larry's opinion. I haven't really been following it. And um, something that probably has gone under the radar but is starting to creep its um, head a little bit is the issues that the women's team is facing. So I thought, mm. look, with no sort of United no, no United action at the moment, we might as well bring that up and sort of discuss the issues surrounding it because they are interesting and kind of damning on the Glazers. But we will get into that. We'll start with the Euros, Larry, and... Before this morning's match, which we were just discussing there, England v Denmark, which was which was a fantastic football match, there was probably an, maybe even better one, Italy and Spain um, the night before. Spain were good, and we've obviously got a very few Italian listeners to this podcast, um, good mates of ours, but um, lucky to get through, I thought. I, th- I thought Spain were very, very good on the day. Yeah, they were. Um, <laughs> can we talk about Morata? <laughs> well, what, what did I say? I... Look, he's, look, at the end of the day, I put him in the same category as Fred almost for the simple case that, okay, we're sitting here discussing it and having a bit of banter and a laugh about it. At the end of the day, he's a very professional footballer. He's highly paid. He's better than you and me, so who are we to criticise? However, you just know things are going to go wrong with Morata. Like, it's it's cursed. He's almost like Timo Werner a little bit. And you just think, who on earth decided to give him a penalty? If there was one player who was going to miss in that shootout, the whole world knew Morata was going to miss. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. Um, good game, though. Very competitive. Um, more competitive than I anticipated it would be. Spain made hard work of it. Um, better side on the day, I thought. But the right team goes through. And when I say the right team, the expected team. Um, obviously, no emotional connection to any of the sides remaining. Um, and then the. And then we, we look ahead and um, we've got England who... Had hairy moments, didn't they? Um, they Denmark go ahead, um, and but you know England in the past where they've crumbled, they did manage to push through it. Um, today's game was belting, by the way. I think up there with look, I think the England, not England, sorry, uh, the France, France Switzerland game was was the most entertaining. I think we've seen this yeah. Euros, um, but this game wasn't too far behind. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was competitive and. You know what? Denmark can really hold their heads up high. Um, I think what, how they've come through with the Christian Eriksen uh, situation, um, and they've held a solid account for themselves. Um, I don't think anyone would have told you prior to the tournament commencing that Denmark would have been semi-finalists. So, yeah, an England-Italy final, and I think the majority, other than the English, will be behind the Italians. 
Well, before we get into England and sort of the United connection regarding England, because obviously we do have a few players and we can obviously add Jaden Sanjo to that list of sort of Reds at, at, in the England squad. But before that, in regards to tying that in with the Italian and Spanish game, I'm just thinking... Italy have probably been the team of the tournament. They started the season, they obviously started the tournament with the first game when we were very good and really haven't sort of let up since. They've been very good. Everyone's sort of almost tipped to be. Like after that first game, everyone's all well, Italy may be the team to watch and they have proven to be. However, I look at that and I think England are probably while it's going to be a very tough game, I think they're probably more favor no, they probably prefer to play Italy than Spain, even though Spain are arguably the weaker team. I think a way the game would have panned out against Spain would have been far sort of more detrimental towards the English because I just think the way Spain keep the ball and keep that pressure, I just look at it and just think of a midfield battle. And look, as good as Rice and Phillips may have been or may haven't have been, Mm. they're still two players you look at, at the end of the day, one plays for Leeds, one plays for West Ham. What would you imagine if a West Ham player or Leeds player came up against a Spanish opposition in Champions League football? The Spanish team would walk just run rings around them and I think a very similar thing would happen if Spain played England in this game I just think Spain would just dominate that midfield and eventually pressure could pay now as we said with Alvaro Morata up front maybe that pressure wouldn't pay maybe Spain wouldn't find a breakthrough and England sort of would make them pay but who do you think England obviously they do have Italy but who do you think they would have preferred to meet in the final if they had the choice yeah, I think you make a really good point and I think yeah would have been would have been um, the Italians because with Spain, we see this. Um, we see this phrase used a lot in uh, boxing and in, uh, particularly in MMA. Uh, styles make fights. It's a very well known saying, and I think the same can be said for football. Um, if you want to think about the Premier League, to to use an example, Klopp always has Pep's number, and then but Solskjaer seemed to always have Pep's number, um, but then Pep would always have it over. Uh, like Mourinho, when Mourinho was manager at United. So it's really interesting how some managers and their playing styles are just the perfect counteract to another playing style. And I think what you made that that point with Spain is really important because I think this English side, it's not it's not the strongest English side we've ever seen, but it's definitely the most consistent and probably the most battle-hardened. Um, I think an, an English side 10 years ago would have crumbled uh, under the same situation going behind um, and against a lesser opposition. You only have to go back to the last Euros against Iceland uh, where we saw that happen. But I think they, they have, in whatever you think of Gareth Southgate, there's something to be said. He's instilled a, at least some sort of stronger mentality within this squad. The players also seem to be enjoying each other's company. I think there's something to be said about that. But yeah, so how this game pans out, it will be interesting because Italy have no arguments here, I'm sure, have been the team of the tournament from the way they threw Turkey aside from the from their opening match all the way through to now. Spain being the only game where it's just gradually gotten... As they've entered the finals, they, they've kind of gotten worse. Um, and While well, not being terrible, of course, but their performances have been dropping off. So I'm just wondering, are England getting Italy at the right point? Because England seems to be going the opposite way. They started with not, not good football, let's be honest. A poor Croatia side, a draw against Scotland, and then they finish with a victory. But they've improved as the games go on. So I'm just wondering, is it a perfect matchup for England? Well, that's what we're discussing. England are obviously fine in form at the right end. And look, Italy are still in good form. Italy is still winning games. So it's hard to argue that they're not in form. Mm. But there is that buzz around England. And whether that be them part of the home, they're the host nation pretty much. The fans back in Wembley, there is a buzz around them. Now that buzz 
could prove sort of detrimental to them if as we saw with Denmark they went 1-0 up you didn't know how the crowd would react now they're very lucky that an own goal which well Sterling was probably going to score anyway but if that goal doesn't go in you don't know how that pressure then turns on the England fans so it will be an interesting dynamic I think I don't know who the bookies favourites would be for it I think it would almost be really split down the middle but um, in regards to that final and throw your United hat on, obviously Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire start. Um, they're both nailed on to start. Mm. Marcus Rashford just hasn't got a look in this tournament. Um, that's unfortunate, but you, you do look at the quality in that final third and it's understandable. I think it's because he's injured, the one, you know. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah no, definitely play, plays a factor in it. But the one I'll throw to you is Jaden Sancho, who which we can include now. I'm just thinking because he was so good against Ukraine, however it was Ukraine, um, they Southgate opted to throw Saka back in, and look, rightly so, he's got the result. Um, he played a crucial role in the first in the first goal. But um, do you think there is a selection headache there for Southgate, or do you think he just it's a pretty straightforward pick and he will continue with Saka? I think he will continue with Saka. Um, I'd go Sancho. I think you need to get at the Italians because the strength of their side is. How do I say this? It's their com- it's their they're a combative side. Um, they can play football, of course they can, but they're a defense first side, and that's not to say they play in a negative way. I just think you look at the players they have. You got Jorginho in the heart of the midfield. You're looking at a very experienced but aging defense. I'd be wanting to play attacking players, players who can actually really start to challenge those defenders in one on one situations. Saka, if you actually look at his return over the Premier, I saw this stat thrown around. But, and you know what? He is a better player than Dan James. But if you're looking at it statistically, Tom, over the 90 minutes, so when we're talking about goals per 90 and assists per 90, Saka's worse than Dan James. So there's something to be said around, does Southgate go with work rate? Because if he's going for work rate, absolutely, Saka will give you that. Or do you get at the Italians with pace, which Sancho, the likes of Grealish... Do you go with a direct approach? Try and get those defenders one-on-one. Yeah, I think it's... In finals, it's so hard. And in, in finals like this, yeah, the little things happen. If 5% worth of effort here, there, they make a huge difference. So work rate is crucial, like in any game, but especially in a final. Those little things is what a manager is going to sort of revert to and trust. However, you made the point in regards to the Italians and the way they defend. And maybe a bit stereotypical, obviously, they've been a little bit more sort of expansive in this tournament but the reason I would opt for Sancho and look maybe there is a bias towards it but just from a footballing point of view over Saka I don't want to say Saka is very basic in the way he plays because he's not he's a good footballer he plays for Arsenal and plays for England and doing very well so fair play to him but he is a winger who's out wide hopefully gets in behind hopefully gets across in maybe he can do a bit of skill mm-hmm. where Jaden Sancho you can see a scenario where England are maybe keeping the ball against Italy but not finding a way through. You can see Italy being very sort of frustrating to the English attack. And I just think Sancho's creativity, both with his passing but with his movement, which we saw against Ukraine, is that different answer. Because Saka is a wide player who will play wide. Where Sancho can play wide, but then he can come in and link with players, which could prove maybe the answer to finally getting through the Italian defence. Because if we're just playing... Well, I say we. I'm definitely not in English. But if England are playing just a generic... Not 4-4-2, but sort of two wingers... Italy might find that quite easy to deal with. Yeah, and I agree with that. And that's the thing. I think you want to go with attacking direct players. The, the art of Jadon Sancho is he's almost a throwback, isn't he? Because when you look at modern wingers, they're very inclined to being introverts, aren't they? They, they cut in. 
if you're a right if you're a left footer you play on the right you chop in you shoot if you're a right footer you're playing off the left you prefer to come inside the art of Jaden Sancho is he's he's an old he's an old style winger in the sense he can beat you on the inside but he can also beat you on the outside and i think when you're going to play with a defense who will most likely play deeper you're going to want players who can get in between space so not 100% agree with what you're saying there well, not to put your neck on the line, but we will. Um, prediction. What? What is it? Is a Monday morning final here? I think. I think. I'm pretty sure it's five a.m. Monday morning. It's so Tuesday um, morning. Tough start to the week. Um, I don't know whether. Yeah, no, I'm sure it's a Monday. Who knows? I'm sure people listen to the podcast on how can how don't they know when the final is? But I think it is Sunday night, Monday morning, our time. Uh, we'll see. But prediction. Long story short. <laughs> um, how do you think the game goes, and who do you think wins? I was certain the Italians, uh, when we spoke last week, the the closer we get to the game, I'm starting to lean towards England. Just, there's a gut feeling. Yeah, look, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know, because here we are talking about it and we're saying, oh, we, we think this is going to happen. At the start of the tournament, I thought England were a chance to go out in the, in the group stages, and if not the group stages, the first chance of knockout football, and here I am. Maybe leaning with youth, and maybe they are the favourites of the final, which, unbelievable effort, because I completely didn't expect this from them. I want Italy to win. Um, it's a weird one. We discussed this before, didn't we? You want to see the United players go well. I hope Luke Shaw gets two assists. I hope Harry Maguire gets a goal. Um, but I also hope Italy win. Maybe maybe another game that Do goes to penalties. Is there an argument? And yes, I'm very much in the same boat where I'll see the banter and the funny side of England losing... So therefore, I'm going for Italy, but then I do want the United players to to do well and to win. So I'm going for England in that aspect. But just fast forward in six weeks to when the season starts, is it is it too lazy an argument to say oh, a, a trophy would be good for these players? Obviously, it is. It's going to boost their confidence, of course. Mm. But do you think them winning a Euros, that be Sancho, Shaw, Rashford, and Maguire, is that a real something United can cling to? Is that a real positive for United, or it's just an individual thing for those players? No, definitely. I think. When we talk about being linked to Rafael Varane, what's the appeal? He's a serial winner. Yes, he's won trophies with Real Madrid, but he's a World Cup winner. When we talk about keeping one Mata, we've constantly made, and you and me, have made reference to he's a World Cup winner. We need to keep players like that. I think there's something to be said about international success. And winning is a mentality. When you win trophies, whether it's with your club or with your country, it is something that is instilled in you and creates that hunger for wanting more success. Um, at club and international level. So for sure, I think it would definitely benefit United. Um, and I think, so I guess I throw it back to you. Um, where, where is your allegiance with this one? I know we've tongue-in-cheek said, you know, we want the English to lose while hoping for United player success. But is there an argument now that actually we should be leaning towards England because that might actually be a more positive for Manchester United? Yeah, look, I think my love for United takes over and that would lean towards seeing four individuals, four Manchester United individuals being happy and successful. So that would probably lean me towards England. And while I've had a lot of banter and sort of throw that towards England, you can't help it. Look, we support an English club and you do see the reaction, sort of the fans are back in the ground. You do see the country sort of unite and that is infectious. Um uh, these national tournaments always throw up a team, and there has been a few teams in this tournament. Obviously, the Denmark story, but the way England sort of have come together because there is such divide amongst mm. English football. But when your team does get on a run, or their team does get on a run, it does create that sort of unification, and is good. You can tell there is a positive, a feel-good vibe around it. And look, it might be enough, but we'll just finish on a quick prediction in regards to score. 
in saying that, oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I'd go all out. I'll go England three two. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say England two one. Well, Jordan Pickford was starting to get in all mood against Denmark, so he couldn't reach that free kick. Oh, yeah. uh, maybe that's his mistake out of the way. Who knows? There's my little Jordan Pickford dig. But the, the player you mentioned, we'll just move on. You just mentioned Rafael Varane. Um, I don't want to dig too deep into transfers this episode because I don't think there is much news. Mm. But is there, is there anything you want to discuss in regards to ins and outs or any sort of latest developments around any of the targets oh. or potential players we're let, letting go? No, not really. I think the momentum around Varane's clearly picking up. Whether that eventuates in a transfer or not is a question for another day. I think we said we said in the last part. I think we'll know more next week. Um, you know, particularly now with the Euros finishing, I think the deals will start to build some momentum. The interesting one's been Kamavinga. Um, those links seem to be growing louder by the day, and there's some reports that suggest that Chelsea might actually be in the battle to get. To get the Frenchman, which is weird because their midfield is so stacked, um, I think. Well, with the Camavinga one, the thing that it started... When, when I first heard the news, I was, okay, does he fit in? Is he a good player? Would United want that? And I was weighing it up and there was yes and no's sort of across the board. The more I look at it now, just from a business point of view, even if he doesn't make sense in regards to we don't completely need him now because it's Donny van der Beek's there, we still potentially have Paul Pogba there. I'm just thinking this player is touted around Europe as almost a generational talent, like... All the big clubs supposedly want him. Suddenly United are in, in for him for around 25, 30 million pounds sort of thing. And I'm just thinking, is United, regardless of what we need, just seeing a business opportunity where we can get one of the world's best talents for a bargain price, just just get him and just see what happens? Just save someone else, get him? Is there a case of that or that's too almost simple? No, no, you're 100% right. When we talk about buying players, we, we talk about value in the market. With Kamavinga, it's a tap-in. You're not going to lose money. It's similar to Dan James and obviously not in a, t- in a talent perspective, but with Dan James, we said it was a good deal for United because should it be considered a success or not, when United eventually go to sell this player, they're not going to sell him for less than what they got him for. And I think the same is there for Kamavinga, particularly because he's younger. Um, yes, there's always a risk. There's always the risk of settling in. He's young, naturally. There will be inconsistencies there and his game will need to be developed. He's not going to be the solution to United winning a premiership, but... The talent is definitely there. He's already got caps for France. And when you look at the midfield that the French have, if he's already made caps for France, that tells you what a good player he is. He made his debut against PSG as a 17-year-old. Like, this guy's clearly got talent. So I think it's a good signing. And if we, if United did manage to pull it off, should it not work out, they're not going to lose their money, Tom. It will still be... and you know We're assuming that by the time he... If he does sign and then gets sold... Hopefully the world's back to normal. Uh, there's a sense of the market um, normalising. So I think in any case, it's a good transfer. United won't lose out either way. Yeah, look, it's pretty much my thinking at the moment. But I would lean towards the Varane deal being closer in regards to completion, whether that be him signing a new deal at Real Madrid or Man United. I think the Camavinga um, deal is something that, I think for both Kamavinga's case, for Ren's case, for United, and obviously the other clubs who are supposedly going to be interested in him, I can see that going to sort of towards deadline day. I think we're going to get a solution to the Varane situation a lot sooner. Now, my leaning would probably be more towards Varane staying at Real Madrid. 
um, and that who knows what that pops up, whether that pops up. Pau Torres, who was in, um, obviously involved for Spain against Italy, who came off the bench, um, not quite sure, but I think we did well there. Two or three minutes on transfer talk, I think time to move on, because as I said, no real developments, and who knows what's going to happen. We'll probably be discussing different players completely next week. But um, an interesting bit of the podcast now, because we haven't, I don't think maybe we've spent like two minutes in the 200 episodes talking about the Man United women's team. It's an interesting one because they're in the headlines now and for all the wrong reasons and through none of their own, none of their own doing in regards to the players or the manager, etc. or the ex-manager now. But it is an interesting topic because City six weeks ago, even longer when those protests was happening all the way up to when we lose the Europa League final, there was so much hatred and anger and momentum towards the Glazers and rightly so. And the Glazers finally, or sorry, Joel Glazer finally sort of sat down with um, Must and the sort of fan groups and had that sort of meeting and sort of consultation and he outlined, he sort of outlaid the plans for the future, etc. And a lot of fans, obviously, we just saw straight through it, sort of thing, oh, they're just words, it's 16 years too late. And that was completely right. However, he did lay out, lay out these promises and suddenly there was not momentum, but there was a ray of positivity. Obviously, the Jaden Sancho deal was completed. Um, and deflection, the all the attention was deflected away from the Glazers onto the Euros and positive transfer stories. So we completely forgot about those protests a couple of weeks ago. So it, the Glazers absolutely played a masterful stroke there and fair play to them. I don't say fair play to them, but they got what they wanted 100%. However, you revert back to the women's team now and they're already being exposed because they've laid so many promises out and especially in regards to that women's team and the women's setup. But if you look at that women's setup now, it is an absolute mess. They, Casey Stoney, the manager, um, resigned, and it was through her own doing. And she wasn't quite happy with the direction of the club, etc. And now you look at so many of their top players aren't getting contract renewals. Their, their futures are up in the air. Some of the best players are leaving. And before we sort of dissect that a little bit, we'll go into Josh um, has left a comment. Said, interesting to get your thoughts on the state of the women's team. For me, it epitomises how far United are behind in terms of their infrastructure from a wider perspective if you compare it to City and Chelsea. Taking away the fact that United should have set up a ladies team 20 years ago with the stature the club has, it's embarrassing that they've done sort of a half-assed job in setting them up for success. It goes to show the name of the club can attract players, but they won't stay if they don't have the tools to succeed. Amy Turner, Casey Stoney and now Lauren James. Lauren James is a fantastic player. Obviously, the sister of Reese James from Chelsea in England, she looks like she could um, potentially be moving to Chelsea as well, which will be a loss. So we'll go in a few different avenues, but first, just your current thoughts on the current situation with the women's team. Yeah, it's sad, isn't it? I mean, women's football, particularly in England, it's not quite... Obviously, it's not the size of the men's game, but United should be leaders in this. Um, and when we're talking about equality, and you know, in sport... There's always been that gap. Um, United only, the women's team only started, I want to say, three, four seasons ago. It definitely hasn't been very long. Um, so it's disappointing when you hear things such as the toilets are half an hour away from the trains. Like, what's going on there? Um, the best, like, basically no commitment to contracts, to the players. It creates uncertainty. And I'm just actually starting to wonder, and we, we discussed this a little bit earlier, Tom. I'm wondering if United are actually trying to take an approach of looking to liquidate the women's team. I'm wondering, are they looking at it purely from a business perspective that they just they don't see it as a money maker? Well, Josh, Josh making the point there that it's it's twenty years too late. It should have been implemented far before. But the United's reasoning for that twenty year wait was that it made no business sense. And I'm just thinking now, I don't understand their 
almost backflip. They come and sort of do the right thing for three or four years. And now ultimately, look, I don't think that is the case. I don't think the women's team will go under. But you do see from a business point of view, which we are solely focused on when we do discuss the Glazers and Joel Glazer, it does have that sort of, I don't know what the word is in terms of, this is the first step in regards to that process. Um, These are the first sort of cracks starting to appear. I've just had a thought. I'm thinking it could be with Joel Glazer's commitment and his promises to the United fans. Look, whether rightly or wrongly that you you or anyone else agrees with this, I think we'd all agree most fans focus on the men's team. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah. Okay. So with that being said, if Joel Glazer, and again, this is just a, a thought, could it be that because they're going to commit more to this transfer market, perhaps that's why they're not committing to women's team's contracts? It could be that the expenditure, they actually want to focus on the transfer market, securing the likes of your Jaden Sancho's, your Camavingas, your Rafael Varane's um, at the expense of the women. Now, obviously, that's not right. It's not morally correct. And a club with the size of United stature should be able to do but both. But this is surely nothing. Surely they could hire they could hire you and me and, and to sort out contracts like that for the women's team. Like in regards to the size, like, and again, it's not a disrespectful thing, but you just have to look at the wages the men are on compared to the, the women's contracts. It, sh- it shouldn't take, oh, I'm too busy sorting out Paul Pogba's contract. Surely there should be people in place and a football department in place in regards to the women's team who are solely focused on that. It shouldn't be Darren Fletcher and John Murto. They're not doing both sides of the things. There should be a women's football department, but it looks like there isn't. It looks like, well, as you say, hang on, we're too busy with the Jaden Sancho transfer and we're not going to really focus on that. Where you do look at City and Chelsea who have been so successful in the women's team and ultimately very successful in the men's team as well, I don't care from a business point of view. It really shouldn't come into it. It's almost what we said with Jesse Lingard. Even if the um, the clothing brands didn't distract you, even if it had no distraction at all, don't give the perception that it distracts you. Don't, don't give anyone that opportunity. City and Chelsea are striving ahead with their women's team, regardless if that's good business for them or bad business. So whatever the bottom line looks like, it looks like success. But if United aren't sort of providing success for the women's team, it's a bad look. And ultimately, if you do have a bad look... Obviously, negative things are going to happen. Tom, they're businessmen. They don't care about running a successful football club. They removed the words football club from the badge for a reason. This is a brand. You can say what you want about the... They're not good owners. They will never be good owners. They're not running this club for the purpose of being the most successful club in, in, in world football. They're running the club because it makes them money. Now, they've seen that the fans... They've seen the outrage. They've seen the protests. They've seen a £200 million sponsorship deal go, go to shit. Because of all of this, that is the reason why they're putting in some effort into the transfer market. We might actually have a competitive first-team side for the men's. But then, like you've said... When something such as women's, which is, it's not nowhere near the cost of the men's team, but the fact that it's being treated with such neglect shows you the core of these these guys. And they, they just do not care about running a successful football club. It's a business. The women's side of the game doesn't make money. And as far as the Glazers are concerned, to hell with it. Well, that's what I think in regards to, and we can have another debate about this another time, in regards to the actual issues and the challenges that the women's team face. But if we do look at it from the Glazers' point of view and go back to that meet, that fan meeting that Joel Glazer had with fans, if he's lying about this, is this just proof that he's lying about everything else? Like, this is just the first one, okay, this lie is exposed. In six weeks, we're going to see work stop at Old Trafford. Then in 12 weeks, we're going to see this lie exposed. Is this just the first step in that? Is this our fears are being confirmed? 
Oh, look, I don't think our fear is being confirmed, but you don't change if a bird never changes its feathers. At the end of the day, they are running the club to make money. If they've made their commitments, which they have publicly, they never said anything about investment in the women's team. They committed to developing the training facilities, but they didn't commit to developing the men's and the females training facilities. They committed to up to upgrading the stadium, but they didn't commit to what level of upgrade to the stadium. And they've, ingre- and they've agreed to investment into the transfer market. You know, Jose Mourinho's last season, when we signed Diolo, uh, Diogo Delo, uh, Lee Grant and Fred, that's investment in the transfer market. Everything that they can be said should be taken with a grain of salt. I, I can tell you, I can tell you anything. Like, you know, I, I can tell you I'm going to give you some gold. If it's wrapped in shit, doesn't mean anything, does it? So, yeah, I, I don't, I, look, I think they will stick to their commitment, but the commitment will be transfer signings. And unfortunately, Tom, for 70 or 80% of the United fan base, that will appease them. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, it is, it is a sort of sad and an important issue we sort of everyone sort of urged to stay on top of and sort of give them the support that they need because at the moment, no manager. It's been weeks and weeks and weeks and surely just appoint a manager. Like, surely just someone will want to take the job. Just give them the job. There's sort of two candidates. I think one of the sort of highly sort of sought-after coaches at Manchester City is most likely. But they're just not getting it done. And the, unfortunately, the players, the women players who are still at the club, of sort of getting together and they're looking like they're going to approach the PFA and sort of talk about neglect saying look we have no idea what this club has planned for us in the future um, how do we go about this so it is a worrying situation that hopefully has a solution quite soon but um, moving on just to wrap up the podcast as we mentioned and you've seen in the title it is episode number 200 um, like you said quite hard to believe that we made 200 episodes after that first episode recording at the pub just threw an iphone down on the table i wish we could go back to a pub but um, unfortunately sydney is in lockdown again um fingers crossed we're out of it soon but just looking back at the 200 episodes obviously not going through each one but um highlights not only episodes but also just what the podcast has enabled us to do just anything springs to mind for you yeah obviously some of the guests we've had on obvious ones right um and we've had some really good enjoyable podcasts as well I think the the podcasts where um, well one that stands out in terms of a result because they're the ones that are less obvious to stick out in the mind. Uh, when we beat Manchester City, I want to say in the um, nineteen twenty season um, away at the Etihad. Um, I think that was a massive game because United have had inconsistencies, um, and if you remember, the th- amazing thing about Solskjaer has been his ability to pull out a result in the face of pressure. And the, the win against the Etihad, they were flying, you know, running away with the league. We went there and we won. Um, and, and it was a convincing performance as well. So, yeah, really enjoyed the podcast we did post that match because I, I remember it was a 3 a.m. wake up. We were both knackered, but we couldn't wait to record the podcast. It was a very good feeling. In terms of guests, I mean, it's been a good list, Tom, hasn't it? I think the Mark Bosnich one is probably obvious, I guess, because we actually got to go to the pub and it was quite a personal feel and got to really chat uh, chat to him about his career. Um, But, yeah, Alan Keegan um, was an awesome one. We've had endless amounts of fantastic guests. You know, I'm I'm grateful for all of them, to be honest. Yeah, well, Rob, good friend of the podcast, sends through his congratulations on the 200 episodes, been listening since day one and has enjoyed every pod. Um, two of his main favourites are the David May one and the Andy Mitten one, which, yeah, well, first of all, on Rob as well, I think that's one of the almost highlights of the podcast as well. Just some of the listeners we've been able to meet. We met Rob through the podcast in terms of listening. Now he's part of the Supporters Club. 
um, we're in a group chat with him, etc. Him and a couple of mates talk United all all day, sort of thing, and um, we met up for beers, etc. So you, you, we've created a few friendships out of it, which is which is fantastic when you think about it. When um, we're just talking football, but we do have really good friends now through um, as a result of yeah, it. Absolutely. That that David May one it was a huge special one. I sort of met David May the other year, but um, to be able to chat with him about his career, Andy Mitten um, was a fantastic one. Alan Keegan. If any former player, even like I don't want to say even, but obviously the listeners as well. Sometimes it, it can get a little bit. We know what each other's going to say. You and I we sort of have similar opinions on a lot of things. But when we get another listener or another fan on the podcast, adds that different perspective. Um, I think that's good because yeah, the game is all obviously all about opinions. Can we talk about another how one we're that sprang the to my twelfth biggest podcast in Nigeria? Yeah, that one, that one flew up in my email. No, no idea how, but yeah, the 12th biggest sports podcast in Nigeria was a, a big claim to fame. I might get that printed and um, sort of get a magnet made for my fridge. But um, just one of the highlights that popped up in my mind when I was talking there, things we've done in regards to more, more sort of outside the podcast itself, is we're able to raise, kind of feels like a lifetime ago now, it was before COVID started, but we raised $400 for a koala hospital. Yeah. So even little things like that, like being able to talk to people, but... The podcast, we're not doing this for money or anything. It'll obviously cost us money. But um, the things we've been able to do have been have made it completely um, worthwhile. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And, you know, to any, every person who's, like, you know, messaged in the, like, in our messages on Twitter or Facebook and just said, like, you know, how the, you know, we, we've had someone in our in our pro clubs chat mention us and to us personally and said, you know, listening to the podcast has really given him something to look forward to every day. Like those are the reasons to do it. You know, it's really enjoyable. Um, and and that's the most fulfilling feeling in the world. So yeah, to anyone who's ever written anything to anyone who's listened to a podcast, you know, nothing but gratitude. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Look, I can only echo that because I look, we spend probably far too much time on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter sort of, watching all this sort of the football world unfold on social media and it is a toxic environment we've met people over in perth we met people from sort of full-time devils and united stand etc and sort of dissecting their brain on the ins and outs of everything and it's a horrible business you just have to log on to twitter and if you disagree with someone your inbox is filled with sort of vile abuse sort of wishing death on you but I've never experienced that at all with anyone, um, any listeners on the from the podcast that we do. Um, everyone has been completely supportive and the kind words. And when you do compare it to what you do see online in regards to Twitter and YouTube, it is refreshing. And as you say, um, yeah, we're just full of full of sort of gratitude. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think we'll wrap it up there. Then two hundred episodes. Um, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Hopefully, um, we have something. I don't know if it'll be positive if England lose or if England win. I don't know which one will be the better podcast, but hopefully we have something very much looking forward to um, on Monday, on Monday night. Assuming the final was it Monday, It is Monday. Of course. I did check. But, um, <laughs> no, thank you. Research 101. But um, hopefully, everyone did enjoy that podcast and the Euros chat. And obviously the women's chat, which we'll probably dissect a little bit more in future podcasts because obviously something will happen there and it will be interesting to see the direction that the club goes. But until then, hopefully everyone does have a good weekend, but make sure you're obviously subscribed on your podcast app so you don't have to download it. It just pops into your phone when it is uploaded. Um, then you're following us on all your social medias, so you Facebook, iTunes, iTunes, um, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff, you know the drill, and um, at UTD Pubcast. Until then, Larry, 
I'll chat to you next week. Have a good weekend. Yeah. Conor McGregor fight this weekend. Well, yeah, give me a prediction for that. I know we're a football podcast, but we can break it a little bit. A quick prediction for the Poirier-McGregor fight. Look, it's a hard one. A betting man will put Dustin Poirier. I think Dustin Poirier will start favourite. However, there is a buzz that Conor McGregor sort of sort of brings, and especially in a rematch, you just think he does make the adjustment, which he obviously made a huge, not a huge mistake in the first fight, but he was caught out by something. If that's something that doesn't happen again, it's a completely different fight. So I think if he makes the adjustment um, and doesn't get kicked in the calf 10 times, um, I think he might have enough to get it done. How about you? Yeah, I'm with you. I think McGregor, with a point to prove, I think is one of the best fighters in the world. So, yeah, hungry McGregor. I'm I'm leaning towards the Irishman just because I'm, he's a little. He's just. I feel like he's lost his spark a little bit. You know, I miss the arrogant McGregor. He just, he, but he can't have that because he's just. He's been on a bit of a losing streak. So, I'm hoping the Irishman can. Well, pull you say out the goods. you say that his press conference. By the time we wake up now, um, he's be live on stage in Las Vegas for his press conference. I have a feeling the old Connor will be back. But who knows when he wins? Uh, maybe in his post match post fight interview with Joe Rogan, he announces. Um, his ambition to buy out the Glazers. Oh, now that would be something. That would be a podcast. Imagine that. Conor McGregor owns Manchester United. That is the title for the next podcast. Until then, see ya. Cheers. Cheers.